Good morning. I wonder if you've ever heard the story of Eric Liddell. He was an Olympian who ran at the 1924 Paris Games. He was also capped for the Scottish rugby team, a really brilliant sportsman who won a gold medal in the 400 metres. But that wasn't actually his main event. He was a specialist 100 metre runner. But when he turned up at the Games, he discovered that his heats were being run on a Sunday. And so as a, as a Christian, according to his own conscience, he decided he just didn't want to run on a Sunday. And so he didn't. He gave up his dream of winning the gold medal in the 100 metres. The year after that, 1925, he gave up his life in the UK and moved to China to serve children over there. He worked in a school in China. And then during the Second World War, he was taken prisoner when the Japanese invaded China and lived in a really squalid, horrible prison camp for a, for a long time until he died just before liberation of a brain tumour. There was another man in that camp, a man called Langdon Gilkey, who wrote a book about their experiences. He wasn't a Christian, he was a secular man, but he noticed Eric Liddell. He said, in amongst all of the fear and despair, in amongst all of the selfishness that he found in that camp, even in himself, Eric Liddell stood out. Eric was a man who, according to, um, to the author, was overflowing with good humour, always filled with the love of life and constantly pouring himself out for other people, especially for teenagers in the camp who were really struggling, really, really not having a good time. I'm hungry, I'm starving, I'm struggling, pent up. Well, Eric Liddell would give himself to serve them, to help them out. He would cook meals for them. Um, he would organise games for them. Um, he would he'd put tournaments on, he'd organise dances and all those kind of things, giving his own life, his last few months of life to these kids in the camp. Langdon Gilkey concluded his story about Eric Liddell saying that we could scarcely have survived if it wasn't for this man. So what made him different? I mean, amongst all of those other religious people, there are plenty of other missionaries and, and wonderful, amazing people there, but what was it that made Eric Liddell stand out? What was it that made him able to serve other people, to give up so much, to serve so self-sacrificially? Well, I reckon in the words of the story that we read earlier on, you could say Eric Liddell was different because he was drinking different water. I mean, not literally. I don't know what the water supplies were like in the camp. Probably not great. But I mean, he was drinking living water. He knew Jesus. He was drinking from God's grace. He wasn't just religious or moral or trying harder than anybody else in the camp. No, he had a fountain deep inside him that poured out goodness and grace and self-sacrificial love to other people. That's what made him different. Do you want to be a person like that? Like Eric Liddell? Well, if we do, then we need to look at this story, the story of the good, of, uh, not the good Samaritan, of the Samaritan woman that Jesus met at the well. We need to take this story deep into our hearts and drink the, the living water that she drank and that Eric drank. We need to take this story deep into our hearts and let it become a fountain that overflows in our own lives. So let's get into the story. We're going to see three things today, three things I want us to look at. One is thirst, two is the drink that quenches that thirst, and three is the source. Where does that drink come from? Well, thirst to begin with. Who's thirsty in the story? Well, Jesus is the first person who's thirsty. He's God come in human flesh, but he's, he's not floating off the ground. He's not immune from suffering. No, Jesus was thirsty. It says that in verse six, doesn't it? He's there in the middle of the day at the sixth hour. They counted from sunrise, by the way, so about 6 a.m., Six hours is midday, isn't it? So it's baking hot. He's been on a long walk. His feet are sore. His mouth is parched and he finds a well, sits down, sends his disciples into town to get some food for lunch. And he needs a drink. He's thirsty. 
but it's not just him who's thirsty. I mean, that's encouraging, isn't it? Because he knows what it's like to be a human. God has walked in our shoes. He knows what it's like to suffer as we suffer, even to basic things like thirstiness. But but there's a deeper thirst in this story. It's not Jesus's thirst. It's the woman's thirst. Did you see that? Jesus says, if you knew when he's asked her for a drink, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, actually, you would have asked me for a drink and I would have given you living water. Jesus talks about living water. And when he offers that to her, she says, "Okay, I want that. I don't want to have to keep coming back to this well day after day after day. I want water that lasts forever. But Jesus isn't talking about that kind of water because he seems to change the subject. As soon as she says, yes, give me your water, he says, all right, we'll go and get your husband. Now, what's he doing? Is he changing the subject? Is he being rude? It seems a bit harsh, doesn't it, to, to say, no, I'm not going to give you a drink until your husband comes along. But no, it's, he's not changing the subject. He's not being rude. He's putting his finger on a much deeper thirst that she has, that I think we all have. She has a thirst that goes right down to the, the deepest parts of her soul. In fact, she's been digging to try and quench this thirst all of her life. Jesus says, you've been digging in men. You're right that you don't have a husband. You have fa- you've had five. And the man that you're with now isn't your husband. You see, you have been digging. Your life is full of holes where you've been digging and digging for, sa- for satisfaction in men. So she's thirsty, not just for a drink. She's thirsty for her soul to be quenched, to have, I don't know, to have meaning or belonging or satisfaction or pleasure. I don't know what it was she was looking for in these men, but she was thirsty and she was digging in them, but she hadn't found it yet. I wonder, are you thirsty? It's not just Jesus, it's not just her, but I think it's us who are thirsty as well, that we go after all sorts of different things in this world to try and quench our souls, to try and give us deep satisfaction. We, For you, it might not be men or, or women or romance at all. It might be family and your children. It might be wealth and money and career and status. It might be you know, your job or your exam results or a holiday or I don't know, whatever it is. It might be the kind of things, I mean, how do we work out what they are? The kind of things that we repeat time after time, that we that we dig into, that we try and, and satisfy ourselves, that we look forward to. Maybe it's going out on a weekend. Maybe it's the religious stuff that you do on a weekend. I don't know what, what it is, but the kind of thing that we go back to time and time again that that ends up leaving our lives full of holes, holes where we've been digging for satisfaction and all we found is dust. Can you relate to that? Are you thirsty? Well, if you're thirsty, then you need to come and drink Jesus's living water. Um, Apparently, our bodies are are about 50% water, maybe even more than that. And so it's no wonder that we crave for water, isn't it? Uh, I remember running a race once, a, a 10K race. I wasn't running very fast, but it was a long race for my little legs anyway. And um, somebody had forgotten to put out water stations that were stocked with water. All they put out was Lucasade, these kind of foil pouches of really sweet drink. And nobody wanted them. You'd pick them up, try and drink. It was a baking hot day in July and nobody wanted that. They wanted water. I remember crossing the finish line and feeling really dizzy, really hot, dry mouth. I almost passed out, had to go to the St. John's ambulance um, people. And they gave me a drink of of water, splashed it on my face. And it, it, it felt like it felt like somebody tipped a bucket of ice over my head. But my sister there was there. She'd finished before me. Um, and she, she said it was actually a, a bottle of tepid water that they had kept in the St. John's ambulance stand. It wasn't cold at all, but I was so parched, so thirsty. That water was just delicious. It was like ice. It was sweet. That's what thirst is like. 
and when water comes it it's beautiful isn't it it's, it quenches your mouth it's like sweetness to your soul well jesus says he's got water that's even better than that he's saying that he has something that's satisfying to our souls so satisfying to a thirsty soul you could compare it to to water that's that's given to a parched mouth he has something that is so satisfying to our thirsty souls it's like water to a parched mouth it's something delicious well what is it jesus says it's a spring of water welling up to eternal life that's what his water is well what is eternal life is it just life that goes on forever well no it's much more than that it's it's if you read the rest of john's gospel if you've been here over the last few weeks and listened to what sammy's been saying it's life that comes from the one who gave us life in the beginning the one who who through his spirit through his power made the whole world and gives us and life and sustains us day by day that that we can be reconnected to him that we we've turned away from him we've kind of intentionally forgotten about him that he could come and walk and sit in front of us and and we would just not know that it was him like this woman jesus says if you were just if you knew who were sitting in front of you that that this is us that we can sit in front of god and and not realize who he is but that we can jesus says we can be connected to his life now that even though we've cut ourselves off from it even though we're parched you can be reconnected you can have his spirit his spirit that made the world come to live in you and when that happens through the spirit's power you can be sure that god loves you that he knows you you can have an experience and a kind of ongoing experience of god's comfort of his pardon of his forgiveness you can know that that he draws you close as his child that's what the spirit gives us that's what eternal life is it's not just life that kind of carries on day after day after day after day into eternity whatever that is no it's a quality of life it's a kind of life that will last forever that is eternal but it is life connected to god life connected to your maker to the one who knows who you are and what you're here for that's what eternal life is it's the spirit poured into your heart to connect you to god that you'd know his forgiveness that you'd know his love forever that it would never be able to take to be taken away from you and it would be free that's a gift did you see that jesus calls it the gift of god that's what this water is it's not something that you have to earn it's not something that only particular special people can have it's something that god gives to everyone can i show you that from the story maybe you didn't notice it or maybe you didn't know but jews and samaritans hated each other the woman's surprised isn't she that that a jew would be speaking to her because samaritans had real racial problems with each other i mean they really didn't like each other at all so it was very strange that jesus would be talking to her and not just because she's a samaritan but because she's a woman men especially religious men in these days wouldn't talk to women that they didn't know in public anyway and so he's talking jesus comes along and is talking to a samaritan and a woman and a woman of really questionable background as well i mean why is she out there in the middle of the day collecting water i mean just think of that if you were having to walk a distance to collect a load of water the water that you would need for the whole of the rest of the day when would you go you'd go in the morning wouldn't you i mean at the beginning of the day when it was cool when you could start with fresh water and have it for the rest of the day and who would you go with well you'd go with some mates who would maybe help you carry some water who could I don't know, sing some songs on the way to keep you going as you're, as you're lugging this water back home in, uh, in the heat. Well, she's there alone in the middle of the day in the baking hot sun collecting her water. Why is that? It's because she's a woman that nobody wants to spend time with. 
because she's a woman who's, I don't know, broken up homes, had five husbands. See, women in these days of this age would never be unmarried unless they were widows. And so this is a woman of real questionable morality as well. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. She's, she's a social outcast. She's a moral outcast. And Jesus is coming and offering her living water. That's an amazing thing. That's what Jesus means when he says this is a gift of God. You see, you don't have to be a really moral person that's kind of earned it by being really good. You don't have to be of some kind of particular racial background. You know, you don't have to come from some certain country. You don't have to be white um, to have this, uh, this living water. You don't have to be a man or a woman or whatever. You don't have to be some certain category of person to have this. No, this is a gift that God gives to you. If you did have to be particularly moral or from this background or, or that kind of family, then it wouldn't be a gift, would it? It would be something that you earned. It would be something that, that privileged you as, as this kind of special person who would get this living water. But Jesus says, no, this is a gift for everybody. This living water, this relationship with God, knowing him is a gift that you can have, that I can have, whatever you've done, whether you're like this woman or even worse. Whether you're like the guy in the story, the chapter before, who's a Jew, who's a teacher of the Jews, who's theologically brilliant, who, um, who's perfect morally. I mean, everybody looks up to him and respects him. He's a guy called Nicodemus. He's the one that, that Jesus says those words to, John 3.16. Do you remember those um, famous words that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Jesus says that to Nicodemus, this guy who's at the top of the ladder, and then he comes along to this woman in the next story who's at the bottom of the ladder, and he says, I'll give you living water. You can have that eternal life as well, because God loves you, because I love you. It's a beautiful story. You see, Jesus is embodying this water. He is the water that he's giving to her and to you. So there's nothing that you could do no amount of holes that you could be digging in your life, no amount of betrayal of God or of other people or whatever it is. However much we've been trying to satisfy ourselves from anything else that's not God, Jesus says, you're welcome. You can come and have this living water. It's for you. It's for me. It's for anybody who would come. The only people who can't have it are people who don't want a gift, are proud people who say, I'm fine. I don't need your help. Don't don't insult me with your charity, Jesus. I can do it on my own, in my own strength. You see, those are the only kind of people who can't have this gift because they just refuse it. But Jesus says it's open for anybody, living water for anybody who would come and drink. And when you drink, I mean, just think of, think of me crossing that finish line. I didn't just want a little sip of that water. I wanted to pour it over my head and then jump into a swimming pool of water. You see, when you come to Jesus, if you know what it's like to be thirsty and you come and taste him, you come and taste this eternal life that he offers to us. We don't just sip it, do we? We dive in, we jump in head first. So is that you? Are you somebody who's, who's just religious and is kind of sipping Jesus, just trying to go along in your own strength, being moral and good and tidy and, you know, helping, getting Jesus to help you a little bit with a sip now and again? No, if that's you, I'm not really sure that it's Jesus you're tasting. You need to come and know him. Realise how thirsty you are deep down. Stop trying to fill that quench that thirst in your own strength, with your own stuff, with anything that's in the world, and come and dive in to Jesus. Another, another question for Christians, who are your friends? Who are the people that you spend time with? Jesus spends time with people from all over society, from the top and the bottom and everywhere in the middle, from the people who, you know, who he would kind of get more 
um, social credibility from spending time with and from the people who, who he'd be looked down on for spending time with. So who do you spend time with? Do you cross those barriers? Do you break down walls to go and give living water, to go and share life with people, whoever they are? Who are your friends? If you're a Christian, are you somebody like Jesus who doesn't care what people think, but who goes and spends time with everybody so that you can be a fountain pouring out water to others as well? Okay, we've looked at thirst, we've looked at the water, but where does it come from? Where's this source? Well, this um, woman helps us get to it. You see, she doesn't really want to talk about her husbands, and so she deflects, doesn't she? She says, sir, when he brings up her husbands, I can see that you're a prophet. You know, let's not talk about me, let's talk about you. Now, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's got a theological question. You see, she's kind of deflecting and seeing that he's some prophet, interesting guy, got lots of answers. Let's ask him a theological question. And so this was the debate. Should we worship here, you know, in her town, or should we worship in Jerusalem? Samaritans and and Jews um, didn't get on theologically as well as socially. And so Jesus says, believe me, you're not going to need a temple for very much longer. I mean, Jerusalem is the right temple. That's basically the subtext of what he's saying. But it won't be long until I become your temple. Until you don't have to worship in a building anymore and do sacrifices and kind of go through religious rituals anymore. But you can come and worship through me. That's what he means by worshipping in spirit and truth. That's what he means when he says, I'm the Messiah. When he says a time is coming, he's saying an hour is coming. And, And when Jesus talks about that, when he uses that word in John's gospel, we know that he's pointing towards his hour, the cross. We know that he's looking forward to that, to the time when he would go and die, when he would be thirsty so that we could be filled with living water. You see, how can a woman like this, how can people like me and you ever come to be reconnected to God? How can, how can we, when we've betrayed him, when we've gone and dug wells, cisterns, pits in everything we could find except him, when we've turned our backs away from him, how can he ever want to come close to us again? How can it ever be right for him to just let us get away with that? Well, how does he do it? How does he offer her living water considering what she's like? How does he do it? Well, he does it by going to the cross and by being thirsty himself. That's one of the things that Jesus says when he's on the cross. You can read it later on in the story if you want. He says, as he's hanging there naked for hours, he says, I thirst, I'm thirsty. And you might think, well, it's obvious. I mean, of course he would be thirsty. Um, He was being crucified. He was being tortured and exhausted. But it's not just physical thirst that Jesus is talking about at the cross. Jesus, when he says that he's thirsty, is talking about deep spiritual thirst that he's going through at the cross, that he is God himself, nailed to that cross, wasn't just thirsty in his mouth, but was thirsty in his soul, had a burning in his soul because God, his father, had turned away from him, had forsaken him, that he had lost that connection, that spiritual connection with his father, that that he cries out, not just I thirst, but my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus on the cross was taking our spiritual thirst, was taking our barrenness, all of our all of our darkness, all of our all of our failure to, to find our satisfaction in him. He took it on himself, took all the consequences of that, and died with them, took it away. He was thirsty so that we could be quenched. See, that's the source of Jesus's water. Because Jesus does that, you can come and 
and be filled. Because Jesus took away all of our damage and brokenness. Because Jesus took away all of our betrayal of him and hung it on a cross, we can come close and be filled and be thirsty no longer. So whatever it is that we've been going to, wherever it is we've been digging holes, whether it's in men or women, in romance, in family, whatever it is, those things we can just enjoy now. Those are, th- are things that, um, that we can put in their right place. And instead of kind of crushing our children with our weight of expectation because we're trying to fill our thirsty souls with their presence and their love and all their achievements or, or in romance or in our careers, instead of putting all of our life's weight and trying to, trying to fill our souls with those kind of things, now we can enjoy those as gifts from God because God is the one who fills our souls, because he's the one who quenches our thirst, because he's the one that we live for. See, that's what changed Eric Liddell. That's what changed this woman. That's what made her, instead of being a social outcast who was worried about what people would think of her, who was out in the middle of the day avoiding people, instead of that, now because she drank this living water from Jesus, because she knew who he was and she trusted him, she ran back into that town and told everybody to come and see him as well, to come and taste and sip and dive into Jesus. See, it changed her, it made her a fountain. I wonder if you are somebody who's been changed by this. If you are, then let's go and share it. Let's take that water and be fountains and pour it out to as many people as we can. If you haven't, well, maybe now is the time to come to Jesus. Now is the time to come and say, Lord, I'm sorry for digging in all these different places. Would you forgive me? I'm sorry for doing that. Would you satisfy me? Lord, I trust that you are God who's come to know me, to seek me, to find me and to quench my thirst. Would you come into my life? Help me to drink you and give me life. That's a pretty simple prayer, isn't it? Maybe I've made it more complicated than it needs to be, but basically is this. Lord, I'm sorry for digging in other places. Would you give me your living water and help me to drink from you from this day forward for the rest of my life? Amen.